This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Good morning, this is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined as always by Manchester United legend, Paul Parker, to talk over our very difficult week at Manchester United. Uh, Paul, how are you doing this morning? I'm not bad at all, Wayne. Not bad, mate. Good stuff. Uh, If you're watching live, please like and subscribe to the channel. Um, If you're watching live on Facebook, give us a like. Drop in questions as well if you're if you're watching on those platforms as well. Um, we will get to as many questions and comments as we can, as always, on the feed. Um, you might have also noticed that we've added another podcast into the audio feed. Um, that's the the Friday night show with Keen Freyne and uh, Lee Lawrence and Phil Marsh. Um, you'll be able to hear that on the audio um, podcast as well as well as our podcast and um, Dave Murphy's with Scott Wooten. Um, those shows did previews of the game and um, I think they were a little bit, I, th- I think that everyone was sort of realistic in what to expect, but I don't think anybody saw what was coming yesterday, Paul. Uh, so if the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result, then I would have to say that the theatre of dreams yesterday was less a theatre of dreams, not even a theatre of nightmares, but more an asylum <laughs> in the truest sense of the word. Um, let, let's be level-headed to begin with. We're going to get into United, obviously, but credit where it's due, Paul. Um, I felt two years ago when they were saying that this is the best ever Liverpool team, I thought it was premature. I thought, oh, it's a bit disrespectful, actually, to their own past. Um, but I would have to say that after watching that yesterday, and watching them in recent weeks, actually, um, it's probably in my lifetime the best ever Liverpool team. Before you know, before this game, they had this famous five 0 win over Nottingham Forest, which was seen as the pinnacle of their style. And this is really difficult actually to go through this, so you have to bear with us, lads uh, and lasses listening. Um, but I think going to Old Trafford and winning five 0 he's got to be the greatest individual result in their history. It could have been eight or nine, and I don't know if they would have preferred that. I'm sure there's a few fans wishing that they did go for it instead of taking the ball for the last 30 minutes. But, Paul, yeah, before we get into United, and we are going to, uh, let's just say fair play Liverpool, because that was a zenith, wasn't it, of everything that Liverpool, uh, Klopp's worked towards? Yeah, it, it was, and the way they've done it, I still believe it was made easy for them <clears throat> in that sense. I think there's a few players who 
it went missing as the game went on. Um, in your point of view, you're saying maybe the best Liverpool team you've seen. I've, I've seen and played against better Liverpool teams, to be perfectly honest. I played against Liverpool team 87, 88, who, yeah. were, who were very, 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 very good. And I've been sitting watching some Liverpool teams, you know, from the 70s, the late 70s and the early 80s, who weren't bad either. So that was a very, very good performance. I don't think they'll have it that easy in midfield mm. in the next six months is what they had yesterday. But that performance will suggest it was a great performance. They beat Watford 5-0, but by beating Manchester United 5-0 doesn't make that, in my opinion, the greatest Liverpool team at all, really. Because they, as far as I'm concerned, United's performance was no different to Watford's. And I've watched the Watford game and I've watched that Manchester United game, and both games, it could have been more than five, a lot more than five. Yeah. Um, well, let's go on to United then, um, and that definition of insanity. I mean, Oli insisted that things were going to change after the game against Leicester, and he felt that something would have to give after what happened against Atalanta, but the same team started, and they started in the same fashion, and just as Paul Scholes prophesied, you know, it was falling a lot off time. The midfield might as well have been non-existent. We've been saying this for a few weeks. Uh, just two players in there. And I do feel really sorry for Scott Tomney that this step up to the new level that's expected is, has been cruel on him, really. And less so Fred, because more is expected of a 50 million signing. But they were—they just they're there to protect the defence. And it didn't work yet again. And then what we saw in defence, I mean, again, I felt sorry for De Gea because... Look, we've seen this team and we've seen that defence under this manager defend more resolutely against this opponent and other teams of that stature. But we've said on this podcast before about that's the lowest since Fergie and, and we've reached a new landmark here, really. I, mean, I described it on my reaction on, on social media was that um, it's the worst or possibly the worst performance or result in our history. And the more I think about it, the more I think I don't need to say possibly. It's... It's so bad the more that I think about it. I mean, in living memory, we had a couple under Fergie, but we'll talk about the caveats of those. I mean, the 5-1 and 6-1 against City. And then we had the 3-0s to Liverpool and City under Moyes and the 3-0 against Spurs under Mourinho. But this just felt different. It felt even lower than that. Um, I mean, Paul, I mean, I, you know, I said there about the, being the Liverpool, best ever Liverpool team, and maybe I am looking at with a, a fresh wound and thinking I'm, I'm trying to even give myself a little bit of compensation that we were just beaten by a, a, class, a class side but when you look at what happened to United um, and the fact that they lost 5-0 at home to Liverpool which unfortunately is going to be a statement repeated many times in this podcast how, how do you rank that in terms of I mean your living memory of obviously bad United results and performances because for me it's number one it, it was just unbelievable yeah, I can't say the difference. Some, I can't think of anything that was as bad as that. It's, it's the magnitude of the game, how big the game is, and you throw the goals in and you throw the performance in, and it does make it the worst game I can remember watching United play. It's, everything was bad about it, and no one can be surprised about that, to be perfectly honest, because I've been saying for ages that you can't keep going with these performances and expect to go out and win games of football all the time and pick and choose when you're going to go and win. And that's exactly what happened. 
sitting off the back of a poor performance against Atalanta, a poor performance against Villarreal, Villas Leicester and Everton. And I always keep saying, when you go into big games, you need a good performance behind you. And there it was yesterday. Nothing, there was no foundation or belief going into that game <clears throat> and at all levels. The players weren't mentally prepared to go in that game because how many of them really believed that they was going to beat Liverpool? Not many, I would think, because they there was nothing to justify the fact of playing against Liverpool, given Liverpool's recent form. How many of them thought walking out of that tunnel that they could beat them? You know, they could come back again, you know, that relate <clears throat> that kind of oh pat on the back and show spirit kind of you know attitude when they you know coming back from you know Atalanta. It doesn't mean anything. It's a different competition. And if you go 2-0 down against a team like Liverpool, generally you're not going to come back given their current form. And it, it just wasn't there. And everything bad, what we've been saying about the way the team have been, that collectively and individual, all come out. And the only one <clears throat> I've been talking positive about this season, the player, was the one who come off the pitch, who could come off that pitch and he could leave the dressing room and his name wouldn't get mentioned. And that was David De Gea, to be perfectly honest. And you saw how frustrated he was. And he had every right to be frustrated. I didn't, didn't want to see other players getting frustrated and shouting and screaming at people because first thing they've got to do is look at themselves. But for me, being an ex, being an ex-professional footballer, I can only I can only go so far, even though I can maybe go very, very close. But I've been there. And I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I didn't mention that. I'd be kidding myself if I didn't mention it. I've been in situations like that more than once when you're just there, and it's like it's like being thrown in the middle, middle of the North Sea, and someone says, find your way on, because you're just there swim, you're swimming around in circles, not knowing what direction to go in and what's happening next. All you know is that you're being beaten. There's nowhere to go. And that's what all those players were. They were swimming around, looking for somewhere where they could duck their head into and not come up until they knew that there was nothing around to see them. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about Luke Shaw's comments a little bit later, but um, the defence, obviously, you, there's no getting away from how bad that was, uh, collectively and individually. The one thing that stunned me, Paul, is after 10 minutes, I mean, it was 2-0 after 13, right? And they, they should have been four. They, they were already running riot. And the issue that I found, and on top of the other issues that we had, is that the game plan we were continuing with, I mean, we were doing things that were, it was sabotage, like playing out from the back, do you know, that it's not a strength of the team. If anything, it inflicts the weaknesses, it exposes them. And they were still doing it. I mean, I, how much is that the manager? How much is that the responsibility of the players to say, do you know what, actually, this is, even if the manager has said, this is what we've got to do, we can't do it. it you know, it's causing us horrendous damage. You know, they, they kept playing like it the entirety of the first half. It's, I've never seen anything like it, Paul, honestly, I've never... I think it's, I, I look at that and I just think it's like life today, really. Is that, excuse me. <clears throat> I don't think people want to make the decisions themselves. And I think we've seen that in a way it's been the last 18 months. So people seem to want to be waiting around for someone to tell them what to do next. No play, no footballer is willing to make certain. There's a few who want to make say, well, no, that's wrong, go bang. And, and that's what you want to do. It's not working. Bang, kick it out and talk, sort it out. But no, we've been told to play from the back, so we're going to keep doing it and doing it when it isn't right. Because the obvious thing is that people, 
of getting into your face. And then what you should do, you should go and beyond them because you've dragged them in, but they don't. They feel they have to play through. Like there's an extra point or goal if you play through them and cross the halfway line. It's like a training session. And it's just people who aren't willing to make their own mind up and need to be led where it, where it doesn't make any sense. Footballers, <clears throat> during my time, you would have got players who would have said, well, I'm doing what I feel is right. The coach would come to them and then you talk you talk through it and you you deal with that situation. Like there's not much improvisation in our game from our players, the English players, the British players. It seems like textbook, textbook says that. And players are not willing to make their own mind up because they're, because they're scared to to make their own mind up. We've lost we've lost that that way of thinking in the in the modern day player. And when we talk about leadership and leaders, we've lost that as well because modern day life isn't producing them because we're making life too easy for everyone. That's that's the biggest problem. It isn't tough out there anymore where you have to dig deep and think for yourself and make sharp decisions and voice your opinion because you can't voice your opinion as you used to. So, and that's all coming out now. And for me, when I talk about leadership, you know what direction I'm going to. It's not it's not there on the pitch. No. It was not there yesterday. There was not one person out there. And there is one, and I'm going to jump the gun here, is that Oli made a substitution. And for me, it was the worst substitute, substitutions performance I've ever seen. Dallo, when he come on, yeah, the lot, Dallo, it was absolutely disgraceful what he done when he come on. I don't know what Oli said to him, but he come on that pitch and he played for himself, trying to dribble past people, trying to nutmeg someone six yards outside the box, trying to nutmeg when he won the ball and he could have kept the ball, but he tried to nutmeg and bang, the ball goes back into the box again. It was shameful what he'd done. If he touched the ball 10 times, nine of the things he'd done was completely wrong. Oh, you mentioned <laughs> Bello, but um, Pogba's cameo can't be far behind in the worst um, that we've seen. That was unbelievable. We'll get to that in a moment. Just some of the comments from the live uh, viewers, if I can, just before we move on to the next topic. Uh, ben says, I'm about to head off to work, but popping in to say he's got to say we're back here again. All I feel is sadness. Really thought we might break the cycle we've seen under the Glazers with Solskjaer, but it's the same issues repeated. An interesting point from Paul about because I felt all his management style was going to tease that responsibility out of the players, but he's right, it's not there. Uh, a few more comments from Eman Fazelli. I uh, hope well, I uh, pronounced that right. Um, Ollie had said in after that final loss, which we covered on this podcast, he was brutal in the assessment of the team, saying he wanted many of them out, and, and he did. Yeah, you're right. Um, he said he wanted to be the fittest, fastest, and hardest working the team in the league. And three years into his tenure, with none of those things, you can't argue with that. Um, I love Ollie to bits, but he's not delivering. Three years is a long time in football these days. We all know his days are numbered. Yesterday it was as bad as it gets. Well, we'll get onto that in a moment. Um, Paul, I mentioned the five-one against City um, in 1989, and there are many parallels with that. The more I've thought about it, I mean, it, so it followed the summer of Michael Knighton with Phelan, Ince, Webb, and Palliser and Wallace were all signed for around £10 million of investment. So similar to this season, you know, we were in a position of progress and there's a lot of investment. Then we lost to City. And then the next few months, you had um, protests, people like Pete Molyneux, um, a guy I know well, um, infamously put that to raw, Fergie must go, Banner. Uh, 
then Mark Robbins saved Fergie's job, so the story goes. But, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to have conversations with Martin Edwards and Michael Knighton, and I do believe Martin when he says that he was inclined to give Fergie time based on everything they were working on behind the scenes. You know, as well as I do, Paul, that the work that has been going on at United has been a cultural reset. You know, they've done massive overhauls in staff, scouts, the procedures of the club, the, the entire working dynamic has changed over the last few years. The difference is, though, that Ollie doesn't have the experience or track record of Fergie. And I've said before that I fear that too much faith in the players that he grew to trust that simply weren't working out, that it was going to cost him. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, for the last couple of weeks, you've spoke about playing Martial and not Ronaldo against Everton. But persisting with this mid midfield when it's not working, persisting with playing from the back, um, from goal kicks, which is actually emphasising the biggest weaknesses in the team. Um, all of these things that they're on the manager, and you know, it's all right if he fixes them and moves forward, but he's, he's showing persistence with them, and that's the concern. I will always look and say that Ole has surpassed what I originally expected from him. I do think that he upholds the standards of a club in a way that nobody has since Sir Alex. And I mean that overall, every facet. But a part of that has to be acknowledging that certain results and performances are untenable. And I think with the history and experience of Sir Alex that he had in 1989, you can back him. But Oli doesn't have that. I just can't see. And I'm not ever going to be... I'm, and people will be watching this and saying, you're still not calling for the manager to be sacked. I'm never going to be a manager... Uh, uh, a fan who does that. But I just can't see any way that you can lose 5-0 to Liverpool at Old Trafford and continue in the job. That's a, it's a result and performance that makes the position untenable, isn't it? Yeah, but when you're saying that, what, the foundation behind it is what's been happening previous. It isn't just this is coming along and being random. Yeah. It's what's been happening previous. So... So I, I get what you're saying, and that's what you've got to look at. It's what's been going along and what I've been saying. And and I've been very pro-only. So I like, like him as a person. I like what he done with the club for what he what the club was left with. It was like a bonfire. It was like a bonfire about to be lit. Yeah. And he's come in and he's managed to get everything off, all the wood out, everything to protect everything. And just he come in and got the club back to what it was pre-2013. In the way it was going into going into Carrington, walking through the front door and saying good morning to people. That that yeah. you know made a difference rather than sneaking around the back to avoid people. All those look, and that's just one of the things that's going on. And he's come in and he's put a smile back on everyone's faces. He's made it giving it a good feel factor. But it's got to the point now, <clears throat> I think, of when you look at the finals, and I didn't really want I think myself, he can win one, he can win one. But now it's not about for me him winning something, winning the final, say the FA Cup, <clears throat> sorry, no, not the League Cup, but the FA Cup now, it's just left. There's no Premier League, Champions League, we've seen already, they're not going to win the Champions League. It's about trying to get through the group stage now, <clears throat> which is the most important thing, but not going to win it. So that leaves an FA Cup. Only winning an FA Cup is great for him. It'd be good to Manchester United win a trophy, but Manchester United played a long game on things. It's a long it's a it's a it's a massive picture of what's gonna happen next because they need to prepare for it. You can't prepare because you don't know what's gonna happen because there's nothing no no genuine performances, no there's no 
foundation behind what's been going on. There's no foundation when they kick off the game. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what the players are going to do next. We've spent so many weeks, months talking about when there's been good bits and and I'm, I'm a sceptic. I'll go with things, I see it, and I see people who have got better. Luke Shaw was better from what he was before, got his head down. The problem is now Luke Shaw has gone back to being Luke Shaw. Yeah. He's he's read, you know, he's been reading all that's been said about him. He's been listening to everything. He's decided now that he wants to wear his socks halfway down his calf from being pulled up to the kneecap. All those little things are, and I'm I look at little things because my previous manager or my manager at Manchester and I looked at small things. And that's a small thing that and it, and I, when I saw him doing that one of the recent games, he started just doing it bang. I thought to myself, that's not you doing that. Why are you doing that for? To bring more attention to yourself. Your stature is bringing too much attention, but the way you've played, people don't go there because you're fulfilling everything in your criteria as a footballer at this moment in time. But once he pulled those socks down and he looked scruffy, it wasn't Manchester United. His performance yesterday told me that Luke Shaw has gone back to where he was before. And that it was that collision with Maguire that told me that, because I saw that from the Tottenham game when they got when we got beat at home 6-1. There was those two again involved in that. And I think that was the second goal in that Tottenham game yeah. where they both just got in each other's way. But <clears throat> I've jumped the gun a bit, but it's just too many, too many things sitting in my head, which I saw there was so many bad things individually, collectively. And I will say as well, everyone kept we kept looking at the centre halves and who's going to do this and who's going to do that. Which what is the best pairing? So I'll tell you what, I don't know. And if the manager was to be honest, he would say he doesn't know his best pairing at centre half. Because he's so called 80 million pound centre half captain, for me, is not the number one centre half. Yeah, well, Ben says it there, true for a lot of the players, sadly, Paul Maguire especially. And yet, you're right. I, I'm with um, everything that you've just said. I think there was probably a time when they finished second that they believed that they had arrived as a proper Manchester United team. And obviously, they needed to take a next step and they haven't done that. Um, so Luke Shaw actually came out after the game and he said um, this statement I'm going to read to you. Uh, this result was coming. In past games where we've won, we haven't been at our best. We felt that inside the dressing room. And today we have to reflect and we have to move on from this because it hurts. Paul, I mean, saying something like this result was coming. That's such a strange... Do you not find that a strange thing for a player to come out and say? He's like kind of saying we were expecting this to happen. You can't expect something like yesterday to happen, can you? That's... It's just sometimes when you just don't want players to talk after a game. You'd rather... You'd rather speak to them like now, 10 o'clock in the morning the next day, because you don't sleep. You don't sleep properly. You wake up early and all you want, you're laughing, going back in years, you, you just avoided newspapers. You didn't want you didn't want to read about it. You speak, people would speak to you. Your good friends didn't really want to ring you because they wanted to leave you alone, but you needed to get out of your head. You needed to talk. He's jumped in now. And I think he feels maybe that by saying that, everyone's going to think, oh, okay, all right, and yeah, at least you're honest and whatever. That was that wasn't honesty really. That was just my opinion. That was naivety to come out and say something like that. 
you know, it's been coming. That's that's not the, the right thing to be saying. If a fan was to say that about that, it was coming, because they're the ones who are watching it, people will go, well, yeah, but not a player. If a manager was to come out and say that and turn around and say, he's seen it, he's been trying to do this, I've been trying to do that, I just didn't feel right, then you would accept it because the manager, but as a player, it might, this is me, so I don't, I don't know, someone might disagree. I don't think players should be saying that. I think you you, you agree with that as well, Wayne, didn't you? Yeah, I, I found it baffling that he came out and said it. And uh, yeah, you're right in what you're saying about the, so like, yeah, he's going for the honest approach, but <clears throat> come on, do you know, come on. Does it, but it goes back to the point I was saying, Paul, you know, I just think you look at it and in this situation, because there's only really f- Ferguson and Busby that could escape with losing 5-0 at home to Liverpool and they, you, you can make a sort of allowance for it. You can't, and, but, and I'm a, as big a supporter of Oli as anyone has been in the game um, or in, in the game in sort of following him. But it's untenable. As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's a thing where the, the manager has, no, there has to be a change. I, I never call for him to be sites, but that that kind of result is untenable. Um just quickly on Pogba, uh, we got a comment from Gary. Pogba's action screamed, "I don't want to be a part of this." Um, I honestly, I didn't know what had happened because I thought we'd got a corner, and I, I looked away for a second, and I haven't—I don't even want to watch it back. But I've been told, you know, first of all, they could have been one of those that um, went either way. Uh, a lot of people saying it was actually disgraceful what he did. Um, it looks, I mean, if there's been a review for it, I'm going to presume I don't really should have probably prepared for this better with a podcast where I'm analysing it, but I don't want to go back and, and watch it again. So, uh, Paul, first of all, what did you make of Pogba's uh, red card? I, I will say from our reaction, everyone in the ground, I was saying the south stand towards the tunnel, so everyone around that area, the most vocal part yesterday was, um, I'm not, you know, it was a great atmosphere in the stadium. Uh, everyone uh, was loud. Um, all, all corners, but I'm saying from our part, we were all applauding Pogba going off the pitch, but it wasn't applauding him for what he'd done. It was kind of like, all right, this is the end of you as well. Um, what, what did you take from that? Well, what, what was it? Definitely a red card. Oh yeah, it was. It was everything that people. What, why things have been changed in the game, and he got a bit of the ball, but his his foot was up. It was up on the side as he's that way. He's gone in like that, and the stud and his studs were high, showing, and it was <clears throat> above the ball as he's gone in. So Cater, I'm assuming, it wasn't good that they strapped both the legs together. I'm assuming Cater must have had a, he must have hit his standing leg <clears throat> when he's when he's gone when he's gone like that. But it happened because as we saw with, as we saw with the goal, the fifth goal. He, was a, he got caught in possession by Henderson, I think. And Henderson's first ball was bang, in between the centre-halves and Salah scores. <clears throat> and that was him asleep. He wasn't He wasn't geared up. He wasn't prepared to come on. His kind of his attitude was, oh, God, oh, bring me on. We're 4-0 down. What am I doing out here? And I'm saying it because we've all said that as pros. <laughs> we've all said that. Certain situations, things like, well, what am I doing here? It's too late. And, you know, you're using me. Everything about me, me, me. And that would be Paul Pogba. So he takes, he's, he's doing a short corner with Fernandes. Fernandes 
He he knocks a corner to Fernandez. Fernandez goes get, goes towards the byline, pulls it back into the space where he believes Pogba is moving. He's going to move into. That's what it was. He just played there. Perfect. Not a problem. The problem was Pogba switched off for a second, thought his job was done, just giving, giving Bruno the ball. And then when he decides to go for it, it's 70-30 against him. Yeah. And he still and he still goes in. What he should have done was I'm not going to get there. And he then should have made a recovery run of about five, ten yards to go goal side of Cater to say, if you've got it now, I'm just going to make you pass it square or backwards. But he decides to take the easy way and jump in. And he's jumped in. And when he, when he got the card, I went, I went. This isn't goodness. This is going to cause a problem because he's really alienated everybody, everybody, you know. And the worst thing for me, I saw Manchester United players going around trying to protect him. You want to in a way, but it's something that you wouldn't condone if that was done to one of your players, you know. And that's the way, that's the, my way of thinking. Would I think that way if I was on the pitch? That's the bit I can't really answer. But looking at that, I think myself, you can't go in there and protect that. But the moment the referee as we know, this new kind of unwritten rule now is that the moment the referee runs towards that TV screen, that means he's been told by the big chief, go and look at that because you're going to have to change your decision. Yeah. You're going to have to go on a negative to what, what's gone on. And the moment he done that, you knew it was going to happen. He's not going to go all that way because I don't think, I still don't think referees are controlling games, Wayne. I really don't in situations. But is that one the referee might have needed a might have needed a bit of help? But they're being told. I was, you know, I was at Palace at the weekend. I saw something like that, and for me, a goal which Palace never got. But the referee's gone there, and that was it. You went, nope, <clears throat> game's going to finish one-one. So that's what's been happening over recent times. And everyone says it, but he had to go. It was disappointing. Even I was surprised, like you just mentioned, Wayne, about hearing all that clapping when he was coming off. Because I think if the people who have been clapping for the reason kind of going, oh, oh when well, he at least he's had a go, he was, you know, he put in a good tackle and he showed a bit of passion. If they see that and they're um and they've got children, boys, girls who play football, they would not want anybody doing that to them in that in that sense, jumping in at them like that. Even if you get the ball, you go hundred percent on the ball and you hit someone. And you, you're both feet off the floor, and you hit someone, and you make full contact with the ball, and their foot's on the ground. You will cause them damage more towards the ankle, but it could be the knee as well if their yeah. weight is over. If their weight is over the ball, so it's a dangerous challenge. One's challenges like that, which I was making during my career, no doubt about it. I was making. I, you know, that was it. We, if I wasn't doing that, Paul Parker would never play for Manchester United. But I'm saying now, in today's game, you can't do it. You you just can't do it now. So, and that's the difference. And Paul Paul Pogba done that. I, I don't know. I just look at, looked at him patiently, everything about him. Virtually said to me, that's me. That's me. And I think in certain ways, that should be used now. And I think this thought about him signing a new contract, it's a waste of time. Oli's yeah. got enough problems already. Put that to bed. The best way about that one is silence is golden, in my opinion. That will say a lot of silence rather than keep talking about the situation. The biggest problem that Oli's, one of the biggest problems that Oli's got as well now, he's got two players, who, three players, who now 
you should call upon them, but they might not. They might feel we don't owe you anything. Van der Bake, Sancho, Cavani, because Manchester United had a, a nice little structure from the end of last season, and because of the show business signing, which was made by the people overseas, I think to cover bases with people. A lot of people went with it and they forgot about the real problem. And now we're seeing the real problem. United haven't got a centre forward. They've got someone selling shirts. And I think that will slow down now because of this result. But they haven't got a centre forward. Cavani comes on. Cavani covers more yards than Ronaldo. Shows more enthusiasm than Ronaldo. Comes to life. The ball doesn't have to be at his feet for him to come to life. And United had a way of playing and they were they looked better as a team going forward with Cavani in that role as a centre forward, go threatening to go in behind people. Teams drop deeper, scared of him. Now teams are squeezing up higher. And straight away, every time Liverpool won the ball, where was they? They was behind our midfield going at that going at that poor back four. Because they've got no focal point, no one is going to run behind. Yeah. No one. And I'll say it again, sentiment could co- is almost on the verge of costing Oli his job. And yeah. I said that almost from day one, and because it was said to me by a previous manager of Manchester United, sentiment, you know, will, doesn't help you in football. What, what it will do, though, it will get you to sack as a manager. Yeah, and it could do. Um... Patrick puts a comment there. Uh, we need to be dispassionate. I love Oli. My heart hopes he will somehow turn this around. My head, i.e. reality, knows where this is heading. Why wait until May? And I think, as far as I'm concerned, I know, Paul, you haven't come out right and said it, but I just think losing in that fashion yesterday makes the position untenable. And I don't know what saves him at this point. I expect, a part of me expects that while we're actually on this podcast that news could break that he's going to, you know, that he's lost his job, it's that. Um, that diary. Do you know what, Wayne? I would rather him, because he's talked about, and we all know how much he loves the football club. I'm, I'd rather hope that he might decide himself that he's gone as, maybe as far as he can. I'm yeah. looking at everybody. I'm still looking. I still look at the bench, and I'm, I'm, I'm shaking my head when I look at when I look at the bench, looking what he's got behind behind him, the substance that he's got behind him, because I don't, I don't think it's good enough. Yeah. behind him I really don't and I think I said this last week I really don't he needs someone behind him with substance which everybody goes yeah because again I say it there I say it during my time it wasn't about a coach it wasn't Brian Kidd never got a mention Brian Kidd only got a mention there's one every, back 1968 that's Brian Kidd coming to that now now coaches mentioned as much as now we know referee's name now we yeah. now we know assistant manager's name, sorry, coach's name, where before we didn't, it was about the manager and the players. And we make everything so, you know, every brought into it now. And it's it's getting that way now that the brains of the operation is the coach. It's the coach. He's the one who's who's got everything before it used to be, you know, flicking back this. Now it's just doing that. They're the brains of it. And the manager is what the the head coaches, they call them now, but in fact, manager is the one who makes the big decisions, the one who gets that picture and can see it. And all he's doing is being fed all the time. 
by coach, coach or coaches. I don't see that. I don't. I still see. I see Michael Carrick, but I see more Nicky Butt being there. If you're talking about an next player being in that role and who only played, I'm seeing. I'm seeing more Nicky Butt than Michael Carrick because Nicky Butt done done the found. He done the work. He done the shoveling. Built a bit. Built a foundation for himself with going through from the bottom up to, towards where he was before he left. Yeah. And Michael Carrick hasn't done that. And I'm not getting that feel. That, that, that's something that says to, I can see him working hard within his head and anything in his face to make me feel is that it's bothering him and what's going on out there, to be honest. I know I've gone on a bit about that, but it's been, a, it's been in my head for a long, long time, to be honest, Wayne. No, I think no. Yeah, we talked about it in previous weeks as well. Uh, just a few, a few more comments. Uh, ben says we weren't wrong to raise expectations this summer, where we um, the season's been all over the place compared to last season. We improved the squad. I'm going to get onto that in a moment. I've got a, a little bit of a rant coming up. Uh, Reese says good morning, guys. Hope you're well. Hope you're well as well, Reese. Um, I've never been Ollie in or Ollie out because it gets too toxic. Um, but if Ollie goes, it's not just him that must go. Yeah, I think Paul just alluded to, to that there. Rory, good morning. Good morning, Rory. Hope you're doing well. Um, a couple of comments on Pogba. Ben saying Pogba switched off and concentration issues are a hallmark of our character since Fergie retired. Can't complain with that. So that's 100% right. Um, Reese, the tackle could have been avoided. Both players being communicating with each other, Bruno and Pogba, like he said. He's another couple of comments from Reese. Defeat happens, but the manner which we lost last night was unacceptable. The players and manager, we can't lose a match like that against Liverpool. Um, I think he's take, run this squad to the furthest he can go. He's taken as, as far as he can, forever a legend. Um, we need a fresh start to continue what he's done so we don't go stale. Good point. Uh, Rory, I think the writing's on the wall for Ollie, but to make the right appointment post Ollie, we can't just take whatsoever's available now and any decent manager in a job won't be leaving mid-season. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. Can you appeal? Uh, you have to go for a top manager and, and see what um, happens with that. Um, Paul, uh, I, I'm not going to ask you to comment on this, so it's just my rant on it. Um, the biggest damnation of yesterday was for me, I mean, if that had happened against City or Chelsea, like it has done against City before, there's a filter in my brain that says to me, well, they've spent so much that it was on the cards. It was coming. You, know, you expect something like that might happen. But Liverpool have got the same kind of structure we have in that, I mean, they. what I'm trying to say by that is there's nothing that they, they are doing that we don't have the resources to do. And that just shows you how terribly run we have been as a club since Fergie retired. And I'm talking top to bottom. And the Glazers, um, I'm not, I'm not, um, for one second, I don't want anyone to watch this thinking I'm deflating from Ollie because I, I've looked, we've talked about this for the last 40 minutes. Like, I believe that it's untenable. You can't lose 5 0 on to Liverpool. It's a statement defeat that no one can survive, in my opinion. Um, unfortunately, as, as the case may be. Now, the Glazers, they promised to have a better relationship with fans. Instead, I'm talking about from this summer alone, in addition to everything they've done. So they promised to have a better relationship with fans. But since then, there have been several occasions where they've cashed in shares. To the most recent was to the tune of over £100 million. And that's on top of everything they've already taken out. And the fact that they've put nothing in. It's the biggest robbery in English football. It's happened in plain sight. 
people are going to watch this and say, oh, you're reacting to um, a defeat. Yes, I am reacting to a defeat because I'm going to put it into context now. This morning you're going to hear that people um, are going to be saying things like, oh, Aldi's had over 400 million to spend. And he has. There's no getting away from that. He's had that, and we do expect more. This was the season where we expected more, and it's been a, a catastrophic failure so far. Um, and I use those words um, carefully. If you look at the money, and this is something going back to David Moyes, back to Van Gaal, through Mourinho even, these managers have always been given, with the exception of Van Gaal's first season, where um, the summer, which was possibly the biggest disaster of a transfer window the club has ever had, losing all that experience and bringing in players that were alien to the club's philosophy um, at a time we were changing manager as well. It's All the transfer windows other than that have been enough to compete, but always with one or two positions crucial to the side, which were short and unfulfilled. Usually with one or two players brought in, they think, did we really need that player? And my wonder has always been, well, did that manager have a list of targets that were never in order of priority and they just went out and got such and such. They can question the judgment and the involvement of every single manager, including Oli, because that's normal, that's what you do with football. But we saw it when Mourinho wanted Perisic and Lukaku and he ended up only getting Lukaku. We saw it when he wanted defenders and then he got Fred and he threw the toys out of the pram playing McTominay and Matic in defence. Last summer, the owners were blaming the pandemic that still took out tens of millions of pounds. They signed Van der Beek. Then they had that bizarre deadline day, which completely undermined and contradicted any talk about forward planning, which they've been stressing all season, oh, we're taking it slow, all that sort of stuff. Now, this summer, and I think I said this um, last week as well, without the last week, we would have all been frustrated. But we saw the Ronaldo signing and... Um, that said, that there's a little bit more money because we signed him. That's that's what he said. But we needed a midfielder. Everyone knows that. Now I'm not criticising signing Ronaldo. I know you were a little bit critical earlier, and it may turn out to be a disaster of a signing. I still think at the moment it's a little bit like um, giving Solskjaer a Ferrari and not giving him the keys, but still expecting him to drive it. It instantly elevated the pressure on him. Um, but there's a chasm in midfield. There's no foundation. There's a worry about that defence as well, but there's nothing in midfield, and the midfield is a massive problem at the moment. Um, and let's be fair, you know, all of the players in that team, apart from Van der Beek, have had, have had a fair shake. You can't say that Matic hasn't. You can't say Pogba hasn't. They, you can't say anything about the other two as well. They've, they've had their opportunity. Now, the value of the club went up um, after Ronaldo signed. The family cashed in on that. And these were made just as announcements. There was no dialogue. There was no conversation with fans. They just cashed in, cashed in to the tune of over £100 million. None of it put into the club. It's diabolical. Now, the expectation has been put on Oli to win the league or Champions League. We've said that from day one. I've said that, you know, that was his expectation. Now, he signed the best player in the world, whatever, even if you don't agree with that. He signed a statement signing in Ronaldo. The expectation has been elevated. You've signed Varane. He's expected to, to win the league, even with the midfield being what it is and other teams having strengthened as they have. He, like every other manager, has been let down by the players, but also mostly by the owner. And the likelihood is that this cycle is going to continue. That's what distresses me most this morning. I'm good about the loss, but I'm gutted that we're going to be back at square one with the same owners making the same mistakes over and over again. They're the ones responsible for what we're seeing. It's heartbreaking. 
heartbreaking to see them financially exploit this club the way that they're doing. It's heartbreaking. They, they've already used more than two billion from the club's f- coffers. Two billion has been drained out of that club, financing the family's needs on debt or for whatever purposes. They're all multi-millionaires already. Multi-multi-millionaires. It's the tune of tens, hundreds of millions of pounds. If they sold the club, they'd make a further four billion pounds from it. So I make that close on f- seven billion that they would have made from United if they sold up tomorrow after borrowing £800 million to get us. They're probably not going to... No one from the Glazer family is going to watch this. They don't care. Just stop doing this to us. Just sell the club and leave. I don't know what's on the other side of that. And there's a part of me that dreads the, the internal conflicts that would come from a takeover like City or Newcastle. I don't want that. I just want the club to exist as it did before able to spend the revenue it generates to have the fund that it generate funds that it generates to generate to like share sales and everything like that to go directly into the club and not go out of it just i want them to go like they, they're causing this conflict everything that comes from them and we're going to be back at stage one looking for a new manager, possibly someone who's going to rip everything up, all the good stuff that Ollie's done. I'm not like saying Ollie's like, you know, knight in shining armour or anything, but you talked about the entire ethos of the club and you're so right that it feels so much like it used to. And yeah, maybe he's got to go. Maybe it's a step too far, but that's the thing that saddens me is that they're going to go with just going to make another mistake. They're going to make another mistake and take the club back. But yeah, anyway, that's my run. Uh, Paul, we've got to look forward. And whether or not Ollie's in charge, that's something that we'll be talking about next week. But um, the next game is Spurs next week. The club with their own troubles at the moment. And I guess um, you would say if you want to play Spurs, now's the time. But the truth is they're probably saying the same about United, aren't they? Yeah, without a doubt. This, this game generally, when it's, especially when it's at White Hart Lane, is deemed a big fixture, you know. You know, Sky get hold of it and everything. The, the history that comes up about it, games in the sixties and seventies, recent games they'll show. They'll show the game. I think when it was two 0 down, they'll show that game. I think when Nisroy scored in, and when Spurs went two 0 up, and they'll show everything about it. At the moment in time, the game's a bit of seems on paper now a damp squib. To be perfectly honest, it's just going to be about the fall, the fall of two giants as such. It's going to be something, you know, around that, to be perfectly honest. It'll be questions asked about individuals. We're looking at, you know, everything's going to be scrutinised. So, but if, you know, as you mentioned, you said there at the end there, Spurs are mostly thinking, oh, this is what, this is something we might get out of this hitting the club when it's on it at its lowest ebb. We know that it's going to it's going to be a full house. United are going to all their allocation is going to go. That's nothing's going to change there, and they'll be given the same when they're given every away game. But it's about the players now, and we keep always saying that. But it's it is a fact. It's how many of them really want to play for Manchester United? It's all well and good saying it because it's a good club to be at, and you, you your popularity goes up when you're a Manchester United player. Doesn't mean you're a good player. It just means you're united and more people know who you are rather than being a great player, say, at West Ham or anything. 
It's just about Manchester United. People know you better than that great player at West Ham because you play for United and you're more in the focal front of things. So, but you have to prove that you want to be there. And there's a lot of a majority of them, virtually for me, saying they don't want to be there. They love what goes with it, but they don't really want to work hard for it. How many of them are at the moment in time at home hiding behind the curtains or the blinds or whatever? Just wonder how many, because I knew that when the results didn't go well in games like this, when all the big games that matter to Manchester United fans, all of them matter to Manchester United fans, but there were certain games, i.e. yesterday, that mattered that little bit more, you wouldn't come out. You wouldn't go. There was no reason to be out because I think you felt like you was rubbing it, rubbing it in people's faces to be perfect on it. If you was out and it was just another day at the office and you made that mistake of smiling, smirking, doing something, doesn't matter who you're with doing that, and people might have, not people would read it the wrong way. Because football, as I found when I moved 220 miles north, football is life. It's a different feeling to being down, completely different to being down here. Yes, there is people, is there life, but not as much as what it means to towns and towns and city up north. The difference what it makes their football means and winning a game losing a game makes a big difference so you know we're going to hear all the stories going to re- maybe read again things on twitter and you know apologizing and and using those words let's go again which does my brains in to be perfectly honest sometimes you're better off saying nothing and go and giving everything for 90 minutes and while you're doing your bit your 90 minutes go and demand it from the person next to you as well and see how that works. Because it isn't the next game isn't about playing great football. It's actually going to prove that you actually want to play for the club. Not that you want to be at the club, but you want to play for the club. And that's what professional football should be about. If you're a footballer, you should want to play football. Yes, you want that team you're with. You want to work as hard as you can for it to give them the best chance of winning games. Not worry about <clears throat> that when you come off the pitch and then when you go out and people are going to be asking for your autograph or anything like that, it's about wanting to win games of football. And when you get pat on the back at the end of the season and when people are jumping all over you and won't leave you alone when you go places, that means you've achieved something. Because I don't think a lot of these players are bothered about that, to be perfectly honest. No, no. you remind me of um, the story that you told me um about when you were at QPR, you know, and the, there was a big celebration about a win over United uh, when Trevor Francis brought the champagne in. And, and then really there were so many players who have had the fortune to speak to who went on to play for other clubs after or be, even before United. And and they talk about how, you know, like they had to sort of adapt to knowing that teams were trying as hard, um, trying harder against United than anyone else. And I just think that a lot of these players don't, perhaps get that. I don't know. I, I don't know, to be honest, but I, I feel when you look at the performances, it certainly looks like that. But then again, you look at it the other way and it's fair to say that teams don't have to be at the best to be as they don't have to try that hard to be as they, a lot of times, um, and yesterday was a case in point, teams just wait for us to make our own mistakes. Mm. Um, that was happening too often yesterday. Um I, Wayne, I, I was asked a question. I've done something because I do a lot of stuff for um, for um, Talk Sport International. So I, so I go out, you know, generally I do quite a few United games doing that as I was yesterday. And I was, I was asked a question 
can United win this game? And I said, it was about playing football. I said, in current form, um, no, they can't win a game. And I, but then I said, if they suddenly, in the old-fashioned ways, go, every player goes goes one against one, up against somebody and fight. It was yeah. like when United played Arsenal. Yeah. And do you remember, yeah. remember, remember Phil Neville with Vieira at Old Trafford? Yeah. That game? Yeah. It was a bit like that. When everything was against them at that given time, the team was going through a bad time and um, the boss just got just got them together. And he must have said something to him and he just said, so and so, that's your job, that's your job, that's your job. And obviously he said to Phil, get closer, because Phil was quite tenacious in what he'd done and Phil was so focused on everything. Phil could do that. That was his that was his game. Win it, give it. Just stop the error, lording round the pitch. And everyone done their individual jobs. And I thought that's the only way United can win that win the game. Because at that given time, meaning yesterday, United one for one could not match Liverpool. Even with a change at centre half, even with Jota coming in as well instead of Mane, they couldn't match him. The centre half coming Canate coming yesterday, he looked like he'd been there a season. Yeah. What Absolutely. incredible incredible performance. But Jurgen Klopp knew he could make that. In such a such a big game, he could take out a, a partnership which has been given away, no goals, and bring in someone in cold who this is only his third appearance. And that tells you he's come in. How much did he cost? In theory, and we, every time we look at it, United, and it's kind of all jittery. But but going back to what I'm saying, and that was the only way I believe they could win the game by going bang, bang, bang. It would have been ugly. It would have been so not Manchester United. But it was about trying to win the battle. If you, every player could win their individual battle, which is an old adage in football, yeah. you stand a better chance of winning the war. Because if you don't win a battle, you can't win a war. So every individual one around that park, that's all, that's all it had to be. And that's, and that's all it needed, that good old-fashioned, maybe, brick way of doing things. They might do it in France. They might do it in Spain. I don't know that. But I just know here that all levels of football... And Mourinho was very old-fashioned in what he plays, and he plays virtually that. He matches what other teams are doing. He's not great, not being a great tactician. He's just he matches. They play three at the back. I'm going to do exactly the same. That means I can get people closer yeah, to closing yeah. down. Yeah, and virtually what you're saying is players who may not be the best thinkers, there's your job. Yeah. And, and when you, and you go close, and if you win it off them, give it to him because he can do that. And that's all it needed. And yeah, fighting. And if they had lost, but they'd, they'd had the fight of their lives, United yeah. fans would have said, yeah, we'll have that. Now we're looking for something next week. And those players would have walked off, beaten, hurting because they've lost to Liverpool. But the fans would have let them know that they've had a really good go up against a team which are ahead of them at this given time. No fan would have been fooled by the fact that Liverpool are better than Manchester United this season. Like City are better, like Chelsea are better, but you got to go against them. You got to fight first and foremost to earn the right. They didn't do that. They wanted to be pretty before, just when the game kicked off. They made it pretty, and Liverpool just went and a bit of intensity, and bang, one nil up because of a little bit of intensity because they tried to be too pretty. Because there was a time when you played a game of football, get it in the opponent's half, pin them in get a throw-in by the corner flag, 
or even better, get a corner kick. We seem to have lost that now because everyone's got to look pretty. Everyone's scared to do it in case they get tainted. Yeah. Like you said earlier, there's, there has to be um, there has to be some taking of responsibility moving forward. Um, that's about it for this week. Just a couple of comments to close up. Um, Andy says, so many long-standing fans saying that this is the worst ever. I'm still numb. I'm with you, Andy. I'm with you um, completely. I, I don't, it's going to be a while to shake it off. Um, ben, says Gary Neville said United are a madness. It's true we make rash decisions and we don't look like a team. It just yeah, it's there's no I will, ask, uh, I will ask the question now. Is Nev going to actually come out and say that as he calls him his you know his former colleague teammate, is he going to come out and say now that he, he needs to move on? I don't know. I, you know, oh, well, I, I know like, it's a bit like the um the dilemma that I found myself in, and it's not about like what you say publicly; it's about how you feel. And it's just I, I keep coming back to it, like because I, there's no other way to say that losing five nil at home to Liverpool, especially like that, um, is untenable. You know, we were playing like nine men. If we if we did add nine men, then you might have thought, oh, do you know what? There's a reason why we've lost five nil, but. You know, they were 5 0 up when we went down to 10, and then they just took pity on us, which was even worse to sit through in, in a way. Um, and I, you know, I don't know, you know, do you call for him to be sites? Does it, does it pour fuel on the fire at this moment in time? It's, I, I don't know. I, I just think like it's a, the atmosphere in the ground for the last 30 minutes was kind of like we know that this is it. That's what it felt like. It felt like that under when we were 3-0 down against Liverpool under Moyes, you know, the last 30 minutes. Um, and and again, that one could have been double. Um, but this is, is so much more significant because of the statement that it made. It's mm. Like I said, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Simon says, um, I felt nothing, no anger. No, no, it's just nothing. Well, I wish I could feel nothing right now, but unfortunately, um, and Ben, yeah, just sadness, uh, go to a back here again, and we'll see what happens this week. It's going to be um, a lot to talk about next week for sure, and there's going to be some big statements. Like we said, people have got to say, take responsibility for it. It's not a, a case of coming out and saying we go again. Um, so... Yeah, um, if I was going to say, if you enjoyed the podcast, well, thanks for everyone who stuck through it. Um, if you enjoy what we what we do on the channel, please give us a nice review and rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, and if you are watching on YouTube, uh, please like and subscribe. If you're watching back on YouTube, join in the comment section. We you know look back and we um, we you know we do comment on on the post as, as shows are live as well. Um, and yeah, Phil will be back. Phil and Keen will be back with Lee Lawrence on, on Friday and I'm sure Dave o will be back with Scott on, on Sunday to talk about the game before Paul and I reconvene next Monday morning. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week, so stay safe, stay well, and thanks for listening and watching. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.